All right, Luke chapter number 1. Luke chapter number 1 and verse number 46. We're going to look at the Magnificent of Mary, her song to the Lord. And so we're going to look at a few things here tonight as we go to the Lord in the Scriptures. Luke chapter number 1, beginning with verse number 46. Luke 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For He has regarded the lowly state of His maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he has, excuse me, for he who is mighty has come and has done great things for me. And holy is his name. His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. For he has shown strength with his arm. And he has scattered the proud in their imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly, and has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Verse 56, And when Mary remained with her for about three months and returned to her house. We're looking at the Song of Mary, verses 46 through 55. The Song of Mary when she was at Elizabeth's house. And the Bible says in verse 44, Luke chapter 1, verse 44, you'll see something significant that happened when Mary and Elizabeth came together. The Bible says that John the Baptist began to leap in Elizabeth's womb. Verse 44, for indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed. For there will be fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And then you see the song of Mary. You'll see that Mary and Elizabeth is coming together. Mary is coming to Elizabeth's house to stay for three months. Remember I said that this morning. She's staying there for three months. She walks in the room and the baby that Elizabeth is carrying begin to leap in her stomach or her womb. And then Mary just busts out with this hymn. She started busting out with this song. And we're going to look at this song tonight that Mary began to sing, starting with verse number 46, the song of Mary. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this opportunity that we have together in Your Word tonight. We pray that the things which are said and done would always bring You the glory and Your Word would go forth in power and boldness. And the church said, Amen! When you look at the Bible, especially the Old Testament, one of the blessings of the Lord um, one of the ways that you know that God was blessing you is through children. Women counted it a great privilege when they were bearing children. It was a sign of God's blessing upon your life. However, when a woman became barren and could not have a child, then that was looked at in society and, uh, as your cursed of the Lord. And women did not want to be barren. They felt like their responsibility was to replenish the earth and populate the earth. Children were seen as a blessing of the Lord and women would have as many, as many children as possible because it was a blessing of the Lord. And so when a woman was deemed barren or too old to have children, uh, it wasn't looked too good, especially in the Jewish society. And so children were a blessing of the Lord. And I said that to say this is because the song of Mary, the story of Mary conceiving and having a son, which we know his name is Jesus, that story is also parallel in the Old Testament 
with Hannah, who gave birth to Samuel. And you know that Hannah also busted out in a song. She started to sing a song too. Did you know that? I didn't really know that Mary's song and Hannah's song is very similar. You see, Hannah wanted to have a son by the name of Samuel. You remember that? The Bible says she sought the Lord. As a matter of fact, the Bible says she was in the temple and she wanted a baby so bad that the priest, Eli, accused her of being drunk. (laughs) She wanted a baby so bad. And the Bible says that her lips were moving, but nothing was coming out of her lips. She desired a baby so bad that even the religious leader accused her of being drunk. And the song of Mary parallels to the story of Hannah tonight. It parallels to the story of Hannah, Hannah desiring a child from the Lord. And you'll see the same situation. Look at the parallel tonight in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1. You don't have to turn there. But Hannah begins to pray to the Lord because she wanted a child. And after she conceived, after she conceived, uh, or excuse me, before she conceived, she began to bust out in this worship song to the Lord. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1, And Hannah prayed and said, My soul rejoiced in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor is any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. You see, I don't want to read the whole song, but you'll see the parallel between these two situations. And I don't know if they had time to put the parallel up there. Did you, Jeremy? You did. All right, the first parallel you'll see, Hannah's song, Hannah's prayer was, my soul exalts in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord. But then you go to the New Testament, Mary begins to sing a song, and she says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in the God of my salvation. Very similar, some differences. In the Old Testament, 1 Samuel, Hannah begins to pray to the Lord, and she says, because no one is holy like the Lord, and no one is righteous like our God. And then, of course, Mary says in Luke chapter 1, when she met Elizabeth, she says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. You see a parallel there. Hannah began to pray again. In the same prayer, she says, Those who were full of bread were made empty, and the hungry have forsaken the land. The song of Mary in Luke chapter 1, she says, He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. You see the parallel here. Hannah prayed in 1 Samuel. She says, the Lord makes the poor and the rich. He brings low and he lifts up. He raises the poor up from the earth and lifts the needy up from the dung heap. And then you know Mary says in Luke chapter 1, He has brought down the mighty from the thrones and exalted the lowly. You see the song of Mary and the song of Hannah is very similar. Now why would it be very similar? Because you know the story. Hannah was old and she was barren and could not conceive. And yet Mary was young. You have an old woman conceiving and you have a young woman conceiving. It is according to Jewish tradition that Mary was at least 16 years of age. Some even say she was 14. There's a dispute. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But some say that Mary was 14, between 14 and 16, and Joseph was between 35 and 38 years of age when they got married. That is just inferred on the text. It's just Jewish tradition that tells us that Joseph was much older than Mary. 
And yet Mary was young and she was a virgin and she conceived and yet Hannah was old and barren. You see a contrast here. One was old and one was young. One was trying to have it naturally and yet the other one had it supernaturally. One was a virgin and one was not a virgin. Both sung a song to the Lord. Hannah sung a song to the Lord and also Mary sung a song to the Lord. They both desired children. They both had sons. One had Eli, one had Jesus. Both of them were prophets in their day. It's very similar. Hannah gives Samuel back to the Lord and Mary gives Jesus back to the Lord in the temple. Very similar situations. History records that the song of Hannah, the song that Hannah sung in 1 Samuel, the one that I just read to you, a little bit of it, that song, according to Jewish tradition, is a song that they sing at the beginning of every new year in the Jewish world, Rosh Hashanah. They used to sing it at the beginning of the new year. It's interesting, I would think, why would you sing that song at the beginning of the Jewish year? But 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1 the song of Hannah, all the Jewish people, I want you to get this, all the Jewish people would sing the song of Hannah at least once a year. At the beginning of the Jewish year, Rosh Hashanah, they would sing it at the beginning of each new year. Now, with that being said, that's important because Mary is a Jewish girl living in a Jewish society, following Jewish customs and laws and ceremonies. So Mary would have known the song of Hannah. So every year Mary would go to the synagogue just like everybody else did and she would recite the same hymn that Hannah sung. So could it be that when Mary saw Elizabeth and Elizabeth's baby began to jump in her womb and Mary just bust out in a song to the Lord, it could be that she was aware of the song of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter number 2. There are similarities. Why is that important? Because whatever is in you in prayer will come out in prayer. If the Word is in you in prayer, it will come out of you in prayer. There is something about praying the Word of God. There's something about singing the Word of God. There's something about having that in your daily routine. And so Mary would have had that very similar situation. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, 21, look at the similarities here. 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse number 21, I want you to look at the, the man-child or the child of Hannah. In 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse number 21, the Bible says that this child began to grow in the Lord. Verse number 21, meanwhile the child Samuel began to grow before the Lord. Everybody say grow before the Lord. He began to grow before the Lord. Samuel began to grow before the Lord. And isn't it ironic that in the story of Jesus, there's a similar, there's a similar scripture in Luke chapter 2, verse 52. Luke chapter 2, verse 52. I want you to see what Luke says about Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, verse 52, Jesus also grew. The Bible says that Jesus increased in wisdom, statue, and favor with God and man. So you cannot deny that there are similarities between the story of Hannah and the story of Mary, between Samuel and between Jesus. There is strong similarities here. What does that have to do with us tonight? I mean, what does it matter if there's similarities? 
Because I believe that Old Testament contained is New Testament explained. That what is in the Old Testament is actually something that was to foreshadow in the New Testament. Both of these men were prophets of God. Both of these men God used to speak to a particular place and a particular people. And God sent Samuel to speak as a prophet and God raised up Jesus to be a prophet. Jesus was a priest in heaven. He came to earth to be a prophet and one day He will be King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is King in theory, but not in actuality, not in reality. Because you and I will crown Him King of kings and Lord of lords one day. He is prophet, He is priest, and He is King. Both men are prophets to their people. Both men spoke for God. And both men brought a revolution in their culture and in their day. Both of them. Jesus brought a revolution. Now when I speak of the word revolution, what do I mean? A revolution is a forcible overthrow of a government or a social system to impede a new social order, to implement a new social order. So a revolution is to with force, overthrow a government or overthrow a social, dis or a social order for a new social order or a new system or a new system of thought. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus brought a revolution. He brought a new way of thinking. He brought a new code. He, he brought a new system of thought. He built upon the system of thought in the Jewish world, but he brought a new system of thought. Jesus really did bring a revolution. He, he brought a different form of government. He brought a different way of thinking. The Jewish people were thinking of a physical kingdom. You know that in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus was being ascended to the Father, Jesus was going to the Father, and after his crucifixion, after his burial and his resurrection, Jesus was on his way to heaven. And the, the disciples still was, was um, they were still in that old mindset. The scripture is clear. Look at it. You don't have to turn there. I'm sure that it'll be behind you. But I want you to see this because I think it's so important. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 verse 4. Now listen to this. Acts chapter 1 verse 4. Acts chapter 1 verse 4. You'll see that Jesus is getting ready to depart. And before Jesus is ascended to heaven, Jesus said this in verse 1, Acts chapter 1, verse 4, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not too many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, when will you restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. You see, what's happening here is that Jesus is bringing a revolution. He's bringing a new way of thought. He's bringing a new system of thought. But these disciples are still thinking the same way. How do I know that? Because verse number 4, they're like, Lord, when are you going to establish your earthly kingdom? They were thinking about an earthly kingdom like they had under King David. And when King David ruled Israel and Judah, there was peace like they've never had before. And they wanted a kingdom like unto that. And Jesus never came to establish an earthly kingdom they were frustrated. Why don't you deliver us from Rome? 
It's no wonder Peter cut off the ear of the servant. It's no wonder Judas sold him for 30 pieces of silver because they wanted an earthly kingdom. And Jesus said, listen, I am bringing a revolution. I am not establishing an earthly kingdom. I want a kingdom in your heart. And you're still thinking the same way. You're still conducting yourself the same way. And isn't that the way in the church? The Word of God is proclaimed every week, but we have a tendency to have our stinking thinking. We, like, we, we, we don't like for our thinking to be revolutionized. Can I hear an amen? These people have their same thinking. And Jesus is saying, listen, I am trying to bring a revolution here. I'm trying to bring a new way of thought. I'm trying to bring a new system of thought, a new way of living. He says, you need to receive power after that you've received the Holy Ghost. Don't worry about the earthly kingdom. He says, I want to give you power to live right. What kind of revolution was Jesus bringing? Christianity is just not merely an institution created by men or the apostles or creeds or councils of early church history. Christianity, in essence, is a revolution. Christianity is a moral revolution. A moral revolution. How do I know that Christianity is a moral revolution? Because Mary who gave birth to the Son of God when she busted out in that song, she declared that it would be a moral revolution. Didn't she? Verse 51, she declared it would be a moral revolution. Verse number 51, she said in her song, He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in their imagination of their hearts. Mary was singing. She didn't even know she was singing a revolution. But she was. She was singing a revolution. She's saying, listen, this new thought, this new order that's getting ready to hit humanity is a moral revolution. He is going to scatter the proud in their imagination, in their hearts. What are you saying, Pastor Josh? I am saying that there is a new way of thinking. There is a new morality. There is a revelation. There is a revolution of morality here. Christianity is the death to the prideful heart. When you become a believer and you become obedient to the teachings of Jesus, then in essence, you are participating in a revolution to bring death to the pride of the human heart. That is the problem of the human heart. Porn is not the problem. Guns is not the problem. Obesity is not the problem. Gossip is not the problem. It's pride. Christianity is first and foremost a moral revolution because it brings death to the prideful heart. It scatters the pride of the imagination of our hearts. Why is it? And I quote, one commentary said it like this, because when revealed the reality of Christ, a person loses all thought that he is something to behold. And he realizes that God's grace for no apparent worth of his own was given to him no, no, and, and matters of pride are left scattered. Because when there is the reality of Christ, you can no longer behold yourself. The imagination in your hearts are scattered. And Mary, when she stands before Elizabeth, she is proclaiming, there is a new revelation, there is a new revolution coming to earth. He's getting ready to 
scatter the prideful hearts of humanity. And that's exactly what Christ did. He comes to scatter the imagination of our hearts. He comes to bring death to the prideful heart. Every sin that you have ever participated in and every sin that you have ever done is a direct result of pride. It's a direct result of pride. Number two, Christianity is a social revolution. It's a social revolution. Mary says in verse number 52, Luke chapter 1 verse 52, guess what she said? She's singing before Elizabeth and to the Lord. He, she says, He has put down the mighty from their thrones and he, and he has exalted the lowly. It's a moral revolution. It, it brings death to the prideful heart. It's a social revolution because... It breaks the social statuses of humanity. It erases the world's labels and nullifies our social ranks. No longer are we put in classes anymore. But it's all broke. He's broken the generational barriers. He's, he's broken the gender barrier. He's, he's broken the barriers. We're all at one with one another. Call no man worthless from whom Christ died. Nobody is worthless. Nobody is worthless. We all have value. We're all the same. There is no common man, but all people are uncommon. When Christ comes, not only is there a moral revolution, but there is a social revolution because He breaks the social statuses of humanity. We're all on even plane now. We all need grace. We all need atonement. There's no big eyes and little U's anymore. All of us is the same. He breaks the social statuses. He, he brings down the mighty from their thrones. He exalts the lowly. He's the one that raises up. And He is the one that puts down. It's a social Revolution. What do you mean, Pastor Josh? What is a revolution? It's a new way of thought. It's a new system. It's a new way of thinking. It is a moral revolution. It's a social revolution. And number three, it is an economic revolution. Christianity is an economic revolution because Mary said in verse 53, He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. See, it's not about Getting more and more and more. It's about us, according to Jesus in the parable that Jesus said. He said, who is your neighbor? Is your neighbor somebody who lives across the street? Is your neighbor who is somebody that sits beside of you in the church pew? Absolutely not. It could be. But if you read the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus said, that is your neighbor. Your neighbor is the one that responds to your needs and asks nothing in return. That's a neighbor. A neighbor is somebody that responds to your need and asks nothing in return, just like the Samaritan. A Samaritan responded to the need, and he asked nothing in return. You see, ladies and gentlemen, that's our neighbor, and it's an economic revolution. It's a new way of thinking. It's not about us hoarding the wealth of the world. That's why... Christianity and churches are called non-profit organizations. We're not in this thing to 
hoard money up. It's an economic revolution. It's a new way of thinking. He said, He has filled the hungry with good things. In other words, it's not just a spiritual thing. It is a physical thing as well. Jesus demonstrated that. He stood on the hillsides of Palestine and preached the gospel to thousands, but yet He also fed them. Let us not think that just preaching alone Preaching alone is effective, but it's coupled with compassion to feed the hungry and the destitute. Jesus understood that principle. Jesus understood the principle that you are to be light and salt to the world. What does salt do? Salt keeps the meat from being decayed. And when you are salt to the world, you help the world from being decayed. You help the world and the church from being decay and going, going rotten, so to speak, because you are that salt and that light to the world. You are Jesus' hands and you are Jesus' feet. You proclaim the Gospel. But listen, the Je- Jesus Christ in the Scripture, there are two things that you see about Jesus. You see the ministry of proclamation and you see the ministry of presence. He proclaimed the Word and He was present to heal the sick and to feed the hungry. Yes, we need to preach, but let's not forget to give the helping hand and be that good Samaritan. And let's ask nothing in return. Jesus said if they ask you to go one mile, you go with them too. Jesus said if they slap you on the cheek, you turn to the other cheek. You see, we don't want to do that because our thinking is the same as the world. But Christianity is a moral revolution. It's a social revolution. It is an economic revolution. It's like Mary said, he has, verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the imagination of their hearts. It's moral revolution. It's death to pride. Verse 52, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. It's a social revolution. It doesn't make sense sometimes. He exalts. He puts down. He promotes. He demotes. He takes those things which we would never deem as acceptable. Those things that we deem as ordinary, God uses it and anoints it and raises it up. It's a different class of social ranking. He takes our weaknesses and anoints them so that we can be a light to the world. He takes the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. It's a new, different social revolution. It's an economic revolution because He fills the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. It's not just about the rich getting more and more and more. It's about us paying attention to those who are hungry. It's about the ministry of proclamation. Proclaim the Word. But it's the ministry of presence. It's the ministry of compassion. The ministry of justice. The ministry of our hands. Mary stood before Elizabeth. That baby leaped In Elizabeth's womb. Remember I said this morning she received the word from the angel. 
that she was going to give birth to the Son of God, and then she takes a trip to her cousin Elizabeth's house for three months. When she walks in the door, Elizabeth's baby jumps in her womb, leaps. Mary begins to sing to the Lord. And what she didn't realize that day was that she was prophetically speaking of a revolution that was getting ready to happen, that was getting ready to come to planet Earth. A new way of thinking. A new way of living. A new way of thought was getting ready to happen. Inspired by the Holy Spirit in the heart of the Virgin, she sang, that great revolutionary song. And today let us be reminded that Christianity is not about our creeds. It's not about our prayers. It's not about our church buildings and steeples, our good works, our hospitals that we've built, our orphanages, our missionaries that we send around the world. All of that's good and fine. But Christianity is a new system of thought. It's a new way of thinking. It's a different worldview. It's obedient to the teachings of Jesus. Christianity is the surrender. Listen to pastor. It is the surrender of our prideful hearts to Jesus Christ. That's been the issue since the beginning of time. The serpent said to Eve, Hath God said, Oh, go ahead and eat the fruit. It's good. She saw that it was good to her eye. You see, that's where we mess up. It's a new way of thought. Just because it's good doesn't mean it's acceptable. Just because everybody else is eating the fruit don't mean that you need to eat the fruit. Just because everybody else gets mad and wants to slap everybody and tell everybody out don't mean you need to. It's a new thought. It's a new way of living. It's obedience to the teachings of Jesus. Somebody once said, you had to sum up Christianity in one word. What would you sum it up? That old preacher said, well, I've lived for Jesus all my life. And he said, if I had to sum up Christianity, he said, I would say that it's One thing, it's obedience. You can't be obedient with a prideful heart. You've got to say death to the heart, the prideful heart.